Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. Pod Sequentialism, of course, is an outgrowth of the Pop Sequentialism um, traveling comic book art show. Uh, first started in 2011 and has toured the world. And we record, as usual, here at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. And the show is also brought to you by La Luz de Jesus Gallery and the Wacko Superstore in Los Feliz in Los Angeles, as well as Gallery 30 South in Pasadena. So uh, you can follow all of those social media at, at their ats, which is at La Luz de Jesus at Gallery 30 South, and I also want to shout out at Panic Collective, that's Panic with a K, uh, doing a lot of uh, very politically inspired and uh, sort of, how do we say, I guess we would call it um, shit disturbing. So uh, what I, I want to welcome a very different type of guest to the program today, um, and I've, you know, we talk a lot about the DIY aesthetic, and we also talk about different careers in the arts, and how to pursue your dream. And I think this guest really embodies a number of those things. And as we as we kind of peel back the layers of the onion, we're going to get to some, some really, really solidly inspiring things. But I came across Margot Neely because I had seen online this incredible, incredible idea of turning a Roland keyboard into a sneaker. And as a child of the 70s and 80s and a huge fan of that particular era of synth pop and being very familiar with their own keyboards and various bands that I was in, even though most of those tended towards heavy metal and punk, that it just really brings me back to the aesthetic that I move forward with the Panic Collective and that I think a lot of the zeitgeist are aware of in that appreciation of a really specific type of late 70s and early 80s design. And uh, so we also want to talk about some of the other great endeavors but before we get too far down that path i want to welcome margo neely hi matt it's a pleasure to be here hey yeah so you know i was actually in your neck of the woods uh last weekend not for joyful reasons i had to i had to go Uh, back for um, a family funeral but um we were uh, within probably 20 minutes of each other about a a week ago (laughs) in massachusetts it's that's terrible. I didn't realize that was the reason you were in this neck of the woods, but yeah. it's actually a very, another kind of strange parallel that connects back to something I haven't spoken about connected to the design of the shoe mm-hmm. that you mentioned, um, which I don't know if you want me to kind of launch into. Yeah, let's go into that. Has, and, and let's now let's, sure. let's shout the name out for people who, who maybe aren't familiar because we've talked around it, but we haven't really said exactly what it is. But the, the design of the shoe looks very much like um, the Roland and it's the TR. The TR-808. TR-808. It's a concept. Yeah, it was a custom concept that I just created basically for fun mm-hmm. uh, in, in 2012. And, it, and I called it the Neely Air Adidas Roland TR-808 Disturb the Peace because 808 is police code for disturbing the peace. Mm-hmm. And the, the concept in, in brief was to revive that thing that you have nostalgia for and I do too, being a child of the 70s and 80s, the actual streetwear culture and the boombox culture and the breakdance culture and rap culture emerging um, in the early 80s, like out of, you know, an actual outgrowth in real communities um, and bringing this concept of bringing the boom box back to the back to the street in a new way. 
and because, I'm, uh, I'm you a know, huge we collector, a huge collector of boomboxes, yeah. and I'm, I'm part of the boomboxery <laughs> group, and we have meetups in Las Vegas. Um, you know, I've, I've, and I have a relatively small collection, but the 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 fun of being around. You know, we get like a, an FM transmitter and we have all the boomboxes blasting the same station and it's and people just come up to us and they're completely blown away. So I think that the, the environment is very receptive for this, this yeah. thing that you've created. And also that, you know, as we see like Guardians of the Galaxy, the first movie brings back the Walkman and the second movie brings yeah. back the Coleco sports uh, football toy and even the Zune, which is kind of bizarre, but um, not quite as old <laughs> right. as these other things. <laughs> Right. Why did you pick Roland specifically? To me, it was just, it was such an iconic product and it was so responsible. The TR-808 was sort of this thing that gave so many people in, in rap and dance music and freestyle, you know, to trap music today, mm-hmm. this, uh, this instrument essentially through which they could express themselves in a new way. And so it, to me, nothing compared in terms of iconic status. And that's what I always associated with the music I loved mm-hmm. growing up. So it just seemed logical to me. And I must say, when I did, when I put the design together, I was kind of sitting there the whole time going, I can't believe no one thought to do this yeah, yeah. before. And it's funny because that always were- reminded me of, of the fashion of the day in its day. Like that keyboard reminded me yeah. of you know, Pumas, you know, like a Puma jogging mm-hmm. suit or even like uh, some of the more stylistic yes. pony um, street. Totally, totally. Of course. Right. And it's like you, you kind of automatically have those associations that come along with the TR-808, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel like especially if you're of that time, maybe if you're a millennial, it's a little bit more of a stretch, you know, but for us, it seems like a natural kind of crossover connection that you just make mentally. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, I have this idea. I'm going to throw it together. And I did in a matter of hours in 2012. And And this shoe does something. It doesn't just look like a keyboard. No, it plays. It actually plays beats. It makes the sounds of the TR-808. So the original concept was to keep it really simple and analog, just like, again, keeping with a 80s theme, mm-hmm. toys that were so popular in the 80s. There was something, it, it was a knockoff of, I don't know if you know the toy, Skip It and Bop It. There was a knockoff version in the late 80s that played beats. Wow. So when I was kind of putting it together mentally, I thought, you know, this is obviously, it can be done easily because this is not heavy-duty hardware that you need in a giant case and, you know, oh, it would be too heavy. So in terms of making it happen, um, that was not difficult, you know. And, and there were toys now, like speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, we actually have the dancing baby Groot mm-hmm. at home at my house. <laughs> and it's kind of, a, in a way, the same idea. You know, this isn't like anything that far flung. Now, of course, five years later, 2017, with all of the advances in tech and wearables, um, it's kind of like zoomed forward into the future and the possibility of making this a real usable um, instrument for professionals and musicians and, you know, people that just love the TR-808. And um, there's been so much enthusiasm in that realm. I just want to give you some numbers. When this went viral, it was as much a shock to me as anyone else. And 
let, let me just tell you the numbers and then I'm going to tie it back and tell you why it's a shock based on what you said about having to come out to Massachusetts. Right. So as, as of Friday, the stories, and this does not include any social media, online readership in the publications that this story about what I designed has been featured has reached a global audience of 2.52 billion people. And we have 5.69 million estimated coverage views just on articles that various publications across the globe have, you know, picked up on the story and written about it. Um, And that, and we, and the social media on this is so big. We actually don't have the capability to calculate it. Right. Well, now, as long as as long as I can save two size eights, I'm happy. <laughs> exactly, I have to get you on the list. This is um, so. This is what makes this cr- really crazy and kind of so awesome that we're talking about this. As I said, this is a five year old project that I just essentially did for myself as a designer because you know we do things like this all the time. We give ourselves exercises and say, you know, let me create something. Let me see what a rebrand of X will look like. Just right. to kind of you know, keep the juices flowing. And I want to use that that, as kind of a really good example, you know, that people forget about this and and especially in the arts and and people who don't have experience or are of a certain age necessarily of of realizing in a culture that is very much single serving, single issue, instant gratification, how long things Mm -hmm. can take to to germinate and beyond that, that you have to be ready if something, if a project that you developed five years ago suddenly catches fire, you have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to pivot back yes. to, uh, you know, a- aggressively going after the zeitgeist when they find you. And I've found that yes. a lot of people that I know just don't have that, that mental space to be able to switch yes. gears quickly enough and take advantage of what is essentially a windfall via the right person coming across your brilliant idea and recognizing its brilliance and that happening at the right time that you're in a position to be able to capitalize on that. Totally. This is like the kind of the inside joke in the creative world about the quote overnight success. Yeah. Because so many people who appear to be overnight successes have been working and working and working for years. Yeah. So this is this in particular, I, it, everything you said, I bring so true to me. And, um, and it's, it's just about kind of always being prepared and the long, and along the way when things aren't happening, still kind of, it sounds so cheesy, but believing in yourself and continuing to move forward and keep innovating and just, you know, stay and wait for the audience. Because, again, this is totally dormant. Nothing happened. Um, w- there was no press release. There was nothing. And then the day of my father's funeral, which was May 3rd, wow. this is when this went viral. Now I had not promoted it. I hadn't put it out in the world. It was on it was on our website, mm-hmm. but even when it was picked up by, we can't figure out where the the initial kind of spark happened. Mm-hmm. Before I talked to you, I actually wrote to a group of DJs um, in Amsterdam because I thought they were that was it. Like this is the, the kind of all right. They're the point of origin. I'm going to talk to them and figure out how they found it. And they wrote me back and said, it wasn't us. We found it through someone else. And the images that other person pulled was actually from my old website. That's not even, it's cached, but it's not even live online anymore. So like for this to happen is 
it's pretty surreal. That's kind and of what Facebook require... was supposed to be, right? Like Facebook was supposed yes. to be the friends of your friends of your friends have have yeah. really cool interests. And so you'll be interested in what they're interested in, too. Right. And in, in a way, it totally worked for us. But hilariously, it was never our friends and it was never even our friends of friends. It was people who were just out there on their own looking yeah. and finding and searching for something. And then when they found it, I guess it was like the thing they were interested in. My mind is so blown by this. It's, it's, I really can't express. Um, it's been astounding. And I have to say, I've been so grateful because to me, it seemed like such a cool idea. And it was really hard in the beginning when I first put it out there and I felt like uh, nobody's biting, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe it's not as cool as I thought it was. And oh, well, it'll just be another project that kind of, you know, I loved and I labored over and, you know, it, it served its purpose. Um, but now I feel like it really has a life of its own. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. I have, through this project, I have been able to talk to more uh, creative, awesome, positive people. And that just keeps me going and keeps me creating. And what I hope for is seeing this come to fruition and then seeing what people do with it. That that will blow my mind because I feel like as a creator of something, you know, once it's out in the world, then it kind of, you know, it's especially something that's essentially an instrument, then the artists who would take the instrument and use it are going to take everything to the next level with their innovation and their take on it. And that part is so thrilling to me. So, yeah, it's been an awesome, wild, exciting ride, and we're doing everything we can to make this a a reality now. Now, at what point was it embraced by the sneaker companies? Well, I'm not quite at liberty to say uh, anything about that end of it just because of legal. Right. But I will say um, on the music end, without saying too much, people have embraced it. Yeah. And they've been awesomely excited and (laughs) supportive and gung-ho and really just, um, you know, driven and, and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's kind of a funny thing too, because you start to realize you float an idea like this in the world, just as a creative. And then you kind of start to see that within industries, there are communication gaps. So the fans might see a logical connection between music and fashion, but in reality, these things are so separate, you know, and you don't really realize, and then you realize that that can be a stopping point for innovation. Mm-hmm. So you know, do you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. I, I kind of am seeing now that in the future there will be more interplay in the worlds of music, tech, and fashion. But we're still, it's still like in the in the nascent stage, and those are the things that are being worked out because different groups of people contribute different things and different types of innovation. Right. The and first, that it has of, to enter the consumer space so that people absolutely. who didn't realize that these things are possible are possible and then yes. they can embrace it and discover a completely unanticipated use and then it goes forward from there. So where, where's some of your social yeah. media? Where can people um, find this project online? Uh, they can find the actual case study on our website, neelyanddaughters.com. And if they go to our Facebook page, they can see all the press about it. Um, all the press will also be on our website as soon as we're done calculating all the numbers. And 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can you can follow us there, Neely and Daughters, and kind of just follow this journey. Um, in truth, it's funny because there's so much there's so much social that doesn't none of it really originated with us, like I said. So if you just kind of want to find it and you think of it later, if you go on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, just search for it. And you'll start to find all the sources around the world and kind of see what they're saying about it, which has been overwhelmingly positive, which is just awesome. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at right now. We're waiting every day. We think, OK, it's going to plateau. It's going to plateau. And every day there's more press. There's more interest. And it's, it's um, just amazing. Well, cool. So we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to hear from one of our sponsors. And this is a, a good point for me to ra- remind uh, advertisers that you too can reach this prime demographic and uh, we'll be back in just a few uh, moments with um, Margot Neely. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host Matt Kennedy and we are of course talking to Margot Neely who it was just telling us about this incredible kind of zeitgeist grabbing project of this sneaker design that she had built around a rolling keyboard from the, the early 1980s and how this idea, five years after it first hit the the internet, became embraced by people all over the world in different and unrelated ways that turned into this groundswell of attention back to this project and how now it is such a big deal that they have to calculate numbers to see what can actually be produced probably and how soon it can get to market. And of course, these things tend to come on the the radar of of bigger corporations who are going to probably want to back projects like these. But as we discussed it entering, entering into the retail space and the consumer space, that this musical instrument, which is actually a form of streetwear and a retro street fair with a design aesthetic, will be interesting to see how that morphs from this first product into other types of products that people will locate um, customize and and also market. So as far as a DIY project, uh, this thing is has really taken on a life of its own. And uh, we want to also uh, start going into the fact that uh, this isn't all that Margot does, that um, she's relatively well known for quite a few other things. And the um, we're going to talk about the ladies club here in a second. So um, I'm going to let you introduce this because you say it much better than I could. Thanks, Matt. Um, so I am the creator director of streaming television television series called Ladies Revenge Club, and it was winner of uh, Geek Fest Best of the Festival and Best Short at New York Comic Con, New York Super Week. It won Best Series at the Nine World Geek Fest in London, and it just won Best Series and Best Cinematography at Amarcord Chicago Art House Television Festival. And it's screened at basically every Comic-Con all over the world. And that, too, has sort of had a life of its own. Now, the great thing about these two projects, uh, number one, they're incredibly different. And uh, being born of the same mind, this is another thing that helps illustrate the fact that creative people have many different interests. And that while someone may be well known for one specific thing, they probably are very good at other things related to the creative field. And... These two things, which have both gotten their own fan bases, and it's quite possible that people that know you for one of these two things don't know you for the other of these two things, but they have to help in a way, so that now that you know that you have a fan base for 
the streaming series and you have a fan base for this this designware that the cross-pollination of these things can help launch project number three, number four, number five, all the way down the line. So you must be at this point kind of saying, okay, I've got a hundred ideas. What's my next idea? What do I hit market yes. with next? It's very true. And that's kind of a funny thing with me because I do work in a, in a number of different mediums. Mm-hmm. So one, you know, I might have three years where I'm working on the television series while I'm simultaneously doing creative for clients mm-hmm. and who are coming to me who've seen the television series who've seen the shoe what a great and business saying, hey, card. Can you exactly hey can you do that for us and that's really been the craziest outgrowth of all of this because mm-hmm. at any given point i would have told you oh you know i'm just going to work in film i'll be directing the television show and focusing on that but the strangest outgrowth of ladies revenge club which i'll just tell you it was um greatly inspired by the old Batman TV show from the 1960s. I and also love Mel Yvonne Brooks Craig. Movies. Yvonne Craig is so, one of my yeah. favorite people who has ever <laughs> graced the earth. So, you know, the general aesthetic, you know, that kind of, that feel and, and, and the style of the show. And it's also, it's kind of a cross between X-Men, X-Men and Batman, Batman. Yeah. So I just thought this was kind of a great idea. We can use it to frame people's, um, you know, responses to things happening in the political sphere today, set it in the 1960s so I can really work with that aesthetic, which Mm -hmm. I love, and that tone, the comedic tone. And um, that, you know, was a labor of love for a long time. Now, I thought I would just be working on the show. What actually happened was the show was successful, and then people turned around and said to me, hey, we work for Company X, and we love all the creative you did across all the different channels, the film, the design, the products, everything. Can you come and do that for our brand? And I thought, well, why not? You know, for me, all I generally need is a little seed, a little jumping off point, Mm -hmm. and the willingness from a partner to just kind of, you know, go with it and do something really fun and creative. And then it's kind of like channeling. And it's, you know, where can we take this? What can we do? And how can we create something that really, um, that really, that never mind speaks to people, but listens to what people think about something and then gives them something that they're, they're craving, they're asking for. And, and where, that was the same thing with the where, where, where is your so, base of operations these days? I am, I am a longtime New Yorker and I had an office in New York, but I had a baby in 2015. Mm-hmm. And since I had the baby, I'm actually in the Berkshires in Massachusetts most of the time. I, my clients are in New York, LA, Boston, Denver, they're elsewhere, but physically most of the time I'm in the Berkshires and then I, and then I travel for, for work as I need to. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that was another thing, just like with the TR-808 surprise, I found out that Ladies Revenge Club was touring all the Comic-Cons essentially internationally, uh, quite literally the day after I gave birth to my daughter. So I was in the hospital and I was getting texts and emails and phone calls like, we need this, we need that, we need, you know, we need an HD copy, blah, blah, blah. We're bringing it on the road and we're leaving and we need you to get all the marketing together. And I was quite literally in a hospital gown in the hospital with a newborn. So this is just, it's just life, you know, yeah. life as I know it. There's always something happening and life is just moving forward. And, you know, and yeah. There's that <laughs> There's that amazing, you know, balance of, of work and life is another thing that I talk about a lot in the show. And what's 
what every person has to figure out, a couple of things that I think are really important for every person to figure out. Number one, what is it that motivates them? What's their idea of success? And what metric do they use to measure the quality of life? And some people love to work. You know, that's what they love to do. Yeah. Um, they, they allow that to become maybe 80, 85% of who they are. Some people want a very 50-50 balance between what it is that they do that generates their, um, you know, their income so that they can maintain the lifestyle that they enjoy. And then the other half of that is enjoying the 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 fruits of that labor and everybody has to figure out what that ratio is on their own and for themselves. And so when you do have two projects that kind of explode yeah. and then you have that third very important project, which is motherhood <laughs> that, yeah. you know, that, um, that is, you know, perhaps the most enriching thing. You still have to figure out for yourself that balance. Like you say, you're, you've just given birth, you're in the hospital. And what's kind of amazing is that, even in this moment, there is there is that possibility to fulfill things in a way that is able to prolong the success and life of that project, but also take a little bit of time for yourself to be able to figure out what your balance is going to be from that moment forward. Because if something hits when you don't expect it to hit, which is seemingly what has happened here, then you had a plan and now that plan has to change or you have yeah. to choose yeah. to stay with one plan and not pay attention to these this other yeah. sort of peripheral action that's happening. And so what's that yeah. like as, I mean, obviously your company is, it's Neely and Daughters. So there's there's, yeah. there's so much a family <laughs> element to even the branding of, of the business. So how do you balance that out? Like what's, what... Where did it? Where did you think it was going to be in 2012? Just your workflow, not necessarily the, the, the yeah. sneaker, but compared to now. Well, it's funny because when I did the sneaker, it was right around the same time we were wrapping uh, certain elements of Ladies Revenge Club. Right before I went into the majority of post production, mm -hmm. and it was a long process. So for me, I am one of those people who loves to work. I love to work. It, it comes easily to me. I enjoy it immensely. It drives me forward. Um, so I'm one of those people, but I also, my nickname is the commandant because I'm very good at, just as you said, you know, that is so true. You have to be able to change course the minute the curveball comes your way or you're going to get hit. So I feel like that's something maybe that, um, it's so essential. I'm so glad you brought that up because you really do have to go with the flow. You can't get mired when things don't go the way you're expecting. Mm -hmm. And if you want to also have a work-life balance of any kind, you have to realize that sometimes you're not going to be able to put either thing on hold. Mm -hmm. And for a while, stuff might just be a little hairy. So the only thing you can do is just get a clear head, stay focused, and go in and just get everything done as best you can and know, you know your you temperament, can't. right? You have to know yes. your temperament. You have to yes. know your limitation, what you can take, what is overwhelming. And, you know, very successful people have an ability if they're also on the creative side to be able to delegate authority properly. And that's something that a lot of artists don't have. And so successful pairings with artists are generally the person who is a very creative person and someone else in their life who can pick up that managerial task, that, yeah. um, that element of, of workflow, you know, schedulers make a lot of money because they're worth it. 
You know, the yeah, totally. a friend of mine worked for the the motion picture industry for a very long time in post, and she was a a workflow scheduler. She makes more money than some directors that I know that are successful directors because right. what she does is essential. And if one cog in the work falls out of place, then everybody's life. And if you're in a company of 300 people, their entire lives are thrown into chaos. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a building right now that has multiple businesses and interests happening. And with only a handful of people, it's very easy to throw a monkey wrench into the entire program. And that's on yeah. such a small scale that it's the 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 price of success is a reward. It's it's not a detriment. It's it teaches you what you need to know about who you are. And if you have a good idea about that going in, then not just the possibility, but the probability of success is that much greater. Do you find that to be true? Absolutely. And I think you've touched on something too that drives me crazy when you see a lot of people that I don't necessarily believe are actual creatives, but they see themselves as creative. Yeah, everybody and thinks that they're embrace, kind of an artist, right? <laughs> yes, I air-quoted that and they, for you. And, totally, and these are the people that put out this this idea that, oh, creatives are so loosey-goosey, and nothing in my mind could be further from the truth. Yeah. I think if you're really dedicated to whatever you're doing, whether you're an artist or an athlete or a surgeon, mm-hmm. it requires tremendous focus. And like you said, if one little thing falls out of place, everything falls apart. You have yeah. one diva involved in a project, forget it. It's over. It makes everything difficult. And one of the hardest things, like uh, to go back to what you were saying about delegating, one of the hardest things I think is assembling a team where everyone is operating at optimal levels where you've pulled together a group of really creative people who, you know, have it together, who really can work in the same way, you know, a baseball team works together, you know, have each other's back, be there, keep things flowing, be conscious of what's happening. Um, It's just, uh, it's a hard thing to, to be meticulous and care so deeply about your project and then find other people to bring on board to work with you who are going to care at that same level and bring the same level of expertise and kind of um, meticulous attention to detail that you might. So it's hard. That's the hardest part. You know, I wish there were a way for us to kind of like call those resources and find all those people and create an innovative network of people who were, you know, just serious creatives that, you know, you could kind of like pull from this pool. Let's make an app and become billionaires. We should. Exactly, (laughs) Matt. (laughs) We said it here first, so no one can take it. That's it. Add the TM. We're done. (laughs) Hashtag Um, make an app. (laughs) Well, awesome, Margo. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story. And, you know, we, I encourage everybody to get out there and, and search for this stuff. The, um, the, the shoe is amazing. And, you know, go in and follow on social media, uh, Neely and Daughters, and check out uh, Girls Revenge Club. And, again, thank you so much. And, you know, it's, it's great to be able to schedule this call. And this was something that came together really quickly. You know, I, I saw you online, and then we, we knew what our schedules were, and we just made the appointment, and we made it happen. And that is what it's all about. It's about going after that thing that you think needs to happen, finding a way to make it happen and then making it happen. And so again, I want to thank you, Margo. And I want to just shout out to our listeners that 
you know, one of the things that has been such a big driving force behind this podcast has been my just interest in seeing how other successful and creative people approach things. And everybody has a very different way. And I hope that, that is very inspiring to people who just haven't quite found that particular mentor or that particular example of what they consider to be success yet, or have seen certain aspects of one person's method and certain aspects of another person's method that seem to be working that they don't know how to connect up. That connection is you. That connection is that thing that you bring to it that makes it work in understanding how your system works, setting up your workflow, um, have your dream board, have your, um, your goal board, uh, write down the things that you want to happen, work out a timeline and order, visualize it and just do it. You know that if you wait, if you, if you're waiting for something to be perfect, you're going to die. It's, it's just, it, it will not be perfect. It will be something. And once it is something, it can be perfected, but very few things happen completely perfectly on the first go and hit the world like that. So I think that the patience aspect of it is very important and that feeds back into workflow and into belief and try and surround yourself with people who believe in your projects. And with that, we will say see you next week right here on Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy, and over and out. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole. It's not. Um, you can, If you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Zeus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.